Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody out there. Hope you had a good holiday season. it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, we've covered anything Maryland related, so we're going to cover the four basketball games that uh, that have taken place in the last couple of weeks. We're going to finish up by touching on some of the the football team's big recruiting news that's happened in the last week. Uh, and here to break it all down with me, my co-hosts, Pat Donahue, Mike Popovic. Mike, how's it going, man? Happy New Year. Hey, same to you. Going great and uh, had a good holiday season, so thank you. Hopefully you did as well. Good, good. Pat, how are you? Yeah, great. Happy to be uh, in a new year uh, and uh, everyone's safe and had a good holidays on my end. So uh, can't complain. Good, good. All right. And hopefully 2021, we can get back to normal and get to some football games in the fall. That's that's my current hope. Uh, I'm really hoping we have an NCAA tournament. That's like I like pray every day we have an NCAA tournament. Well, there is well, yeah. Well, the news there was the news that that came down the other day that that uh, it's going to be held in a bubble, essentially yeah. a mini bubble in Indianapolis or in Indiana, the state of Indiana. Yeah. I was really um, happy to see them come out with that news so ahead of time, proactively, because yeah. it means that like they've got their ducks in a row and they, you know, it gives them time to pivot if things change. But uh, yeah, I was really happy to see that because it makes me optimistic for it happening. Yeah, we've talked about it before. I don't. I don't know that a lot of these schools could financially recover if they missed. That's right. Uh, a second straight year, because um, yeah. obviously the the tournament was one of the first things to be canceled when the, all of this started. Um, so, so we'll jump in and talk Maryland. They've lost three of their last four games. Uh, the lone win came as a fairly surprising win. Mike, you and I were talking about it uh, right before we hopped on here against Wisconsin. Um, so. Give me your overall thoughts for the last four games. Uh, we'll, we can dig into to each game um, in a minute. But overall thoughts, what, what was it that went right in that game uh, for you that, that didn't in the others? Are you, you want me to start? Yeah. Well, for me, you know, it's it certainly defensively, um, that's going to win them games this year because of their offensive issues that they have. And I, look, I've talked about it. They're outside shooting, again, inconsistent. Uh, defense has got to travel, especially in those road games as well. But they played some outstanding defense against Wisconsin, who likes to run the clock down quite a bit in their half-court sets and also is usually a good outside shooting team. So I just think ultimately the defensive effort that they have, uh, we've seen them at times get uh, some contributions here and there from some different guys. Uh, but ultimately, Dante Scott has been you know, pretty consistent this year all in all. He's been the guy that they've been able to to go to. But uh, for me, it's that they're putting forth the effort consistently in the games where they are competitive, where they win. And when they're not winning, the lack of shooting uh, shows. It's, it certainly uh, shines through, unfortunately, in a negative way. And then defensively, they just have too many, you know, too many breakdowns at times where they've got a razor thin margin of error. And I think Zach, you and I talked uh, about it before we came on. 
that the lack of size also is a, is a factor. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's been the biggest glaring. I mean, we knew it was an issue. So, Pat, I mean, the biggest thing for me, you know, you don't have a big guy uh, to match up against some of these talented big men in the Big Ten. And I think we saw it. We saw it against Purdue, certainly. And we also saw it against Hunter Dickinson in Michigan. Yeah, I think that's a, a big aspect of it. Um, not really having much of a front court this year, which is um, – kind of atypical of, of most of the Turgeon teams we've seen in his tenure. He's been able to recruit some good big men and um, develop some good big men and, and what have you. So right now, yeah, I mean, they kind of just have like a hodgepodge of guys down there. No one that you really can feel like you can count on. I know Scott has probably been our best player, but to me, he's as much of a wing player as he is a down low player based off the way he plays, because he's probably been our best shooter as well as our best rebounder and just overall player. So really, I think that Mike hit the, the nail on the head in terms of, um, you know, it's a defensive team and they they give effort. That's the one thing you can say about them. This isn't a team that's losing because they're not trying or because, uh, you know, a ton of mental lapses. You know, they have their fair share of mental lapses like every team does. But I just think it's a team that, you know, on paper, we knew they were going to struggle on offense. They just don't have a ton of shooters around. But based off of Turgeon's MO and, and the makeup of this team, we kind of expected them to be more defensive oriented. And um, I don't know if they're going to win many Big Ten games this year, but I don't see them getting blown out in a lot of games. And and the games they will win will be um, where they happen to catch a team just having an off shooting night. And then the Terps defense will likely be good enough to, you know, bring it close and, and maybe pull out a win. So um, <clears throat> we're going to see a, a lot of <clears throat> ugly games and probably more even ugly wins um, if any than anything. So I mean, Zach, I made the comment to you before the show started that what did encourage me with that Wisconsin win is that the Terps, and, and they showed it too against Michigan for about two and a half quarters, is that they're going to maybe be more of a competitive team than I thought they would be this year, to be quite honest with you. So I actually uh, was uh, a little bit more on the plus end with the Terps in those games because I, I didn't expect really much of anything from this team this year, to be quite honest with you. I expected them to be the bottom rung, and they'll probably end up there. But in terms of the competitiveness, uh, you got to give them a lot of credit because I didn't think they would be in those games at all to begin with, and certainly uh, they were. Now, yeah, that Michigan game, A, you look at that 13-22 to 22 from three-point range, that's not going to happen for them likely the rest of the year. But, hey, they made those shots. They hung with Michigan. Again, the effort was there, but you just saw a better team to have more firepower pull away uh, in that one. And Indiana, you saw guys, I mean, they played really good defense, but that's when their offensive woes caught up with them. So as we know, even if you play really good defense, though, that's not a guarantee that you're going to win the game. And unfortunately, that was a game against Indiana they should have had. And that was a similar team in the sense that they're not a very good three-point shooting team either. But that six-minute drought in the late in the second half killed the Terps. And, and no answer for Trace Jackson Davis either because we have no front court. Yeah. Or, um, Dick, or Dickinson on New Year's Eve. <laughs> exactly right. And, and I think one thing we haven't mentioned yet is the loss of Mortel and how big of an impact that is because yeah. uh, they didn't have him down the stretch in that Michigan game when it was, you know, relatively close still, and they didn't have him for Indiana. And I think, you know, they could have won that Indiana game and might be a better overall team than Indiana if they have Morsell in the lineup. Um, I was surprisingly underwhelmed with how with Indiana and kind of have been all year. They're not a great team. Um, they're, they're better than Maryland at this point, but not by much, I'd say. And they, they have a star player in, in Jackson Davis, but 
that's really about it. Um, yeah, I think I think this next week or two without Marcel is going to be. Um, a, I'm not even going to say telling because I think we know what to expect. It's going to be a rough patch for for Maryland, and they're going to have to find a way to keep their head above water, maybe eke out a win or two somehow, an upset, because uh, they're playing a bunch of ranked teams. They're not going to be favored in any of these games except maybe Nebraska. So, um, yeah, they, they need to find a way just to stay afloat until they can get more sell back, and then hopefully we see some improvement from there. Look, Zach, you know, Mark Turgeon, even though he was a former point guard in college, and you tend to think, okay, that means he's going to be an offensive or more of an offensive coach. He's he's born out to be a defensive coach. And I would say that then this year, knowing that the defense is going to have to carry the team in terms of the big man issue and not being able to match up, he's going to need to do a better job of coming up with ways to make life hell on these big men with double teams, maybe even triple teams. Look, other guys then are going to have to beat them, make other teams shoot the basketball consistently from the outside, but they're going to need to come up with some more schemes to be able to make life difficult on those teams. And I would say, too, and you know, I, as a former coach myself and being a little bit technically oriented here, you know, they're going to have to really make sure that they're constantly, you know, very tight defensively, that the rotations are where they need to be, that they have active hands in the zone. Uh, I talk about guys needing to gear down, that don't get caught standing up on defense, that they're constantly in a defensive position where they can move their feet so they can seal off the lane and make sure there's a penetration, those kinds of things. They're really going to have to tighten up defensively a little bit more so they can be consistent there and they at least give themselves a fighting chance going forward here. Again, assuming that the offense doesn't do a whole lot more than what we've seen. Well, and Mike, we've seen Turgeon go to zone defense a lot more um, than he has in the past. And he's got some guys, we talked about it, I think we talked about it last time, where he's got some guys like Aaron Wiggins and like Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, who can play at the top of the key and make life a little more difficult to get the ball down low. I mean, is that more something that we see more of uh, to try to take advantage of maybe uh, a lack of size, but a little more agility? Well, sure. I mean, they, they've got to do everything they possibly can to change things up and to try and help themselves out with that situation. And ultimately, if you've got a situation where you're lacking that, that size in, you know, uh, excuse, excuse me, that size in the front court, um, you know, trying to make sure that the ball doesn't enter the block. I mean, that's that's obviously going to be key for you and to try and in transition, find those big guys, bump them a little bit, keep them out of the paint. I mean, there's those are all the the little techniques and things that you work on. Um, but yeah, you see Turge trying to change things up as much as possible, which uh, is, is certainly a good thing. And they're going to continue to need to do that uh, to, um, you know, to get, again, give themselves a shot. Yeah. And I think one of the, you know, digging in a little deeper, um, you know, to some of the individual performances that we've seen the last few games. I mean, Jarius Hamilton is not, uh, playing up to par, Pat. I mean, it, you know, it seems like you know he was advertised at the, as this guy who could shoot like a two, but he could play like a four, and he's not shooting at all. Uh, played 26 minutes in the last game against Indiana and hit one of eight shots, 0 for 4 from three. Um, and when you've got him not able to shoot and then Cole Marial basically being unable to see the floor because within five minutes uh, he's embarrassed himself beyond repair, I mean – it's just not only do they not have the big guys that they need, but the guys that they have, just the warm bodies, are awful. 
Yeah, I think it really speaks to. I think in the out of conference schedule against obviously much or lesser much lesser competition, um, we started to say, you know, oh, this team looks like it has some good depth. Like maybe Hamilton can give us something. Maybe um, uh, Hakeem Hart can. You know, he what it was like St. Peter's or Mount St. Mary's. He scored like thirty five points or something. No. Um, but it became very. It's become very evident once we've gotten into conference play and even starting at the Clemson game that. These guys just are not ready to contribute at a, you know, 20 minute or even a 15 minute a game level. And with Hamilton, it's a bizarre case because he actually has put up better numbers and looked better on the floor against ACC competition, you know, against decent competition, more than decent competition um, in the past. And you would expect that to translate at least a little bit more than it has. Um, And I think the issue there might be a little bit of his usage. Um, I honestly don't think he has seen the floor uh, enough uh, early, or at least not consistently enough early in the season. Um, I know we're seeing Hakeem Hart out there a lot, and he's done some nice things, and I really like what he can bring defensively with his length. But um, I would possibly give the more experienced Hamilton a little bit more of, of Hart's minutes. Hart's also out there a lot, especially now with more sellout. And Hart has his sophomore blunders, you know, plenty and takes plenty of bad shots. Um, so I'd like to see Hamilton sprinkled in a little more there. And you can give him every one of Chole's minutes as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's already started to happen. Um, and then, like, there's just no – I know you have to get the the two freshman guards somewhat involved and, and season them a little bit, but they're neither of them are clearly ready. Quan Smart hasn't even seen the floor in, like, two games. And – uh, I, Marcus Docker is just not ready to contribute. So honestly, it's getting to the point where I think the best approach would be to shorten the bench. And it might even be a, a six person rotation or something where you don't really even feel that great about the fifth and sixth options there, but it's still your five, six best guys. And they got to condition them right game plan, right. And let it be known that, you know, we're, we're rolling with, with this rotation, um, unless an emergency breaks out, because these are the guys that, that give us the best chance to win. Um, and they need to let those guys play together and work out their kinks and develop this chemistry so that, you know, when we do get at the end of the season and when we're going into the big 10 tournament and things like that, that this isn't, we're at least seeing improvement and this isn't falling off the rails. You know, the one thing, though, guys, when you take a look at that, and Pat, I, I would agree with you that that philosophy in terms of trying to win ball games is the best way to go. And at the same time, though, I, I take a look at this year, you know, with it being a COVID year, looking at the class that came in was ranked 80th something. You have a much better class coming in next year. You know, why not look ahead to the future this year and develop these guys and hope by the Big Ten tournament that you are playing your better ball and then you're going to get, you know, the the Calvary coming to help you out next year to an extent. So I, I wonder with the mindset of Mark Turgeon, it, it seems as if maybe he's somewhere in the middle but still leaning towards trying to win ball games. I'm not so sure, though, at this point. It's like, hey, Mark, look, let's uh, let's just look at this as a development year. I'm not so sure that that would be a bad uh, a bad idea. Maybe once we get through a few of these games upcoming, Zach, you talked about before with me how difficult the schedule is. Maybe if they get blown out in a couple games upcoming, he's going to say, ah, you know what, let's let's finish the year as a developmental year and look ahead to the 2021-22 year. Yeah, I was just thinking that same yeah, thing. That is a good and point. That's, you know, and I wanted to mention the schedule. It's five of the six next games are against top 20 teams. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Iowa in a bit. Um, 
and that's that's the next game. But you got Iowa and Illinois back to back, and that's going to be extremely difficult. You've got a bunch of road games in there as well. Uh, Illinois, Michigan, and Minnesota all on the road, uh, and then you play Wisconsin in there as well. Um, so that's going to be extremely difficult. And you're right. I mean, they they lose enough of those games, uh, stuff becomes out of reach, and you start to see probably Hakeem Hart getting the number of minutes he's getting now to try to develop him. Uh, like Pat mentioned, the freshman guards. And then James Graham as well. And I wanted to to touch on that. He got four minutes in the in his first action uh, the other day against, or I guess it was last night against Indiana, um, or two nights ago, and, or Monday, whatever it is. Earlier this week, he got four minutes in yeah, his first Monday. action. Yeah, a couple of whatever. days. Whatever. I thought it was Thursday today together. for half the day. And I, when I found <laughs> it today was Wednesday, the shock on my face was priceless. It's it's been it's been a week. Um, so James Graham got four minutes. Obviously, the touted uh, freshman who's, who's been able to enroll early, um, and he's going to get he he ought to get some pretty significant minutes here. So Pat, what do you think we can expect the next few games from him? Are they going to throw him into the fire? Does he continue to get single digit minutes to kind of ease him in? Um, I think you'll see an increase from from the four minutes that he got. Four minutes is like in basketball, kind of like an average rotation. You know what I'm saying? That's like kind of the minimum you're going to throw someone out there. So um, I, I think that, you know, we'll see it s- slowly increase as the year goes on. I don't think Turgeon and to Mike's point, um, you know, if I had to guess right now, I would say that Turgeon's mindset is more along the lines of what Mike was saying, and he's probably already looking at this as a somewhat of a developmental year, whether that's right or wrong, um, because I don't know if Turgeon can really afford to have a sub-500 year and a year they miss the tournament, um, unless he knows something about his job security that, you know, we don't. But, um, it, you know, in terms of James Graham, though, I think that um, – the guy, the guy was a scorer at the high school level. I mean, that's what he was, and he could fill up, you know, the points category, the box score, on any given night. So, um, I would think that we would see some offensive production out of him, you know, as he continues to play more. Now, is he going to possibly average, you know, ten points a game? Pro- I think that's a heavy ask for, you know, a seventeen-year-old in the Big Ten. But um, if you can get some offensive production out of him, a little spark off the bench here and there, if he's able to hit some perimeter shots, with, which this team really struggles with, um, it'll only add to his confidence moving forward and give um, Turgeon and, and all of us a little glimpse of what we can expect you know, in the future. Can, can I make a quick comment on Turgeon, Pat? You brought up something that I wasn't sure that we would be talking about tonight. But I was thinking about this because Dan Dockage brought this up on New Year's Eve about the fact that he's gotten a lot of criticism. And Dockage always says, well, I tell Terps fans, OK, well, who do you want to replace, you know, Mark Turgeon? And, and honestly, right now, I don't necessarily have a name. I will say this, though. Second winning his Big Ten team since they entered in 2014. Always give effort, play defense. They've they've been more years than not. They've been successful under him, so on and so forth. I do feel like there's a ceiling with him at Maryland. I do feel like, uh, for instance, if they had made the tournament last year, that he may have prevented them from getting the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. That all said, though, and unfortunately we'll never know, and that would have been the telltale sign as to whether he gets an extension or not. Well, I think he got a reprieve from that, and I just don't believe with COVID and such – I don't believe that he's on the hot seat if he had a losing season, Pat. I think he will get a contract extension. And I don't know, frankly, as we go back to the Sean Miller negotiations or the or the talk with Miller, if you remember, 
uh, Maryland's not a program that's willing to, let's just say, uh, push the envelope. So I don't know that you're going to get a lot better than Mark Turgeon at Maryland until, and this is a whole nother, you know, can of worms. The administration uh, has more of an athletic mentality of trying to want to win more. That's my two cents on it. And, and that's a fair point, Mike, for sure. And I'm not saying that Mark Turgeon is on the hot seat because if I had to, you know, someone put a gun to my head and, I, and said you had to pick right now whether or not he's going to be here next year or not, I'd probably say yes because um, the reasons you mentioned, uh, the recruiting class that's coming in, I think right. that it only makes sense to have give him a chance with those guys and whoever returns from this team. And also there's obviously that, that buyout that always gets discussed. That is, um, well, there is no, buyout. yeah, I mean, that's the problem. There is no buyout. So they'd have to pay him his full contract. That, that, well, that's yeah. I mean, I guess that is the buyout then the rest of the contract. And that's a pretty right. crappy buyout. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be fair to him too. And final note on that, to be fair to him too, guys, uh, that basketball facility that's being built. I think Maryland and Boston college were the only two power five teams that didn't have a basketball facility. Let's see. Will that raise the level of recruiting for him? I think it may be fair to give him a couple years to see if that's the case. That's another great point to bring up too, Mike, because um, Turgeon has been one of the most instrumental people in getting that thing built. And if there's one thing he does do well, it is get donations from boosters because people like him. Uh, he's a nice guy. So I think that also plays in his favor of, uh, you know, keeping his job. Um, it's just, it is getting to the point I feel within the tension of the fan base and just within kind of some apathy towards the program. Uh, you know, he did win the big 10 regular season title last year. And I think with next year's talented class and how it's shaping up, there's a potential for that sort of thing in the future. But I, I just don't think Maryland basketball fans like to see these rebuilding years. And I feel like there's been too many of these type of seasons throughout Turgeon's tenure. And he's had a couple kind of entire roster overhauls a few times. It just, there's been several instances throughout his career that have made his tenure a lot more of a rocky ride than a, you know, upward trajectory or a consistent trajectory like you see from some other mainstay coaches that have been with programs this long. So, but to your point, if they're not willing to push the envelope or, um, think a little outside the box in terms of college basketball coaching, they really are going to limit their their search pool. And uh, there aren't going to be many options that are better than Mark Turgeon. So. And financially, the, the university still hindered by firing two head football coaches uh, before they wanted to, yep. uh, especially DJ Durkin and his assistants. Uh, that was massive buyout money yep. uh, for an already cash-strapped athletic department. Mm -hmm. um, now, I will say, though, you, you mentioned, Mike, about um, kind of a change in just mentality to an athletic mentality. We did get a new president now. Um, not to say I know anything about like about him. Oh, I do know about him, but I don't know him personally, and I don't have necessarily insight into his mentality. But I do know that he um, is a fan of Maryland athletics, has a son who is on the track team, at, you know, has an athletic background. And I would venture to think that he will have a more athletic mindset than at least Wallace Lowe had. So I completely agree. And that's, I agree. Yep. You'd be hard pressed to find it, somebody <laughs> with a less athletic mindset than Wallace. He really Lowe. lowered that bar. So uh, <laughs> the bar was on the floor. And let me tell you, the only time that it ever seemed like he cared about athletics was when he would walk around uh, in front of the student section before football games and punt footballs into the stands. 
That was some of the weirdest shit I've ever seen. And that, um, again, and I, I bring this up time and time again. If you want to know about the commitment to winning at times, when he was asked on the Big Ten Network about Cole Fieldhouse and the transformation into a football facility, he answered the first time about the academic part of it. He was asked a second time about the athletic part, and he answered academic again. And I said, well, that's all you need to know about the ceiling that you have, unfortunately, in College Park. Yeah. Yeah, at least, yeah. So, at, at least at that time. Yeah. So the hope is that Daryl Pines is uh, far and away better than Wallace Lowe, and he's willing to commit because we deserve it. We deserve it after all of these years. Um, so the next game that Maryland's going to play is against Iowa, number five team in the country. Uh, it's not. It's probably not going to be pretty. Uh, we've talked about Maryland's uh, inability to match up with talented big men down low, and you've got maybe the one of, if not the best big men in the country, certainly in the Big Ten, uh, in Luca Garza, uh, who came back, did not go to the NBA, uh, even though he certainly had an opportunity to. Um, so, Pat, how ugly is this going to get? I mean, he's averaging, what, like 28 points, nine rebounds a game. This could yeah. get bad. I, I mean, I don't I don't feel the need to elaborate on this one too much. Uh, it, like you pretty much said, I mean, he's he's the player of the year. It's going to be hard for him not to win player of the year this year. He's unbelievably skilled. Um, he's from the area and played right down the road uh, and has always. And honestly, he's not one of those high profile recruits who told Maryland he wasn't interested. Maryland really did not recruit him as hardly as hard as they should have um, and could have. So he comes into College Park every time with a chip on his shoulder and has had some nice performances here in the past already. So, um, yeah, I this is going to be a tough one without more sell and without any sort of semblance of a front court in College Park. Um, still no fans right in College Park. No fans. Yeah. So, um, I yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the line is. Haven't looked. I don't know. I just, I don't see this one being very close. Even though Maryland's defense has kept them um, in games and they haven't really been blown out at all this season, except maybe you know Clemson, um, I, Iowa, the way they play, the fact that Gars is their best player. I don't see Maryland having much of a chance to win the game. I just hope that they can at least keep it, you know, close and interesting. This can't be right. I'm seeing the spread at four and a half. No, that, that, that's, that's what I've been seeing on some of these like big 10 games. They're fishy and they're yeah, as fishy yeah. as big 10 officiating as I'll tell you yeah. that. But, um, well, I, I at the line where I would pound Iowa. I mean, some of that may be coming off the Wisconsin win on the road. The fact that they were competitive for a while. It was four. It was four, four and a half for the Indiana game too. They yeah. were four, and and Indiana covered that relatively easily. So mm-hmm. um, Maryland plays well at home, but you know, without the crowd this year, I I think maybe Vegas is giving them too much credit. I'm just guessing with the Wisconsin win, with the competitiveness against Michigan, and even though they didn't score much against Indiana, they played both defensively in that game for the most part. That's why I'm guessing goes into it. They were um, only minus two against Michigan, too. So, yeah. like, I just I think it takes with this college basketball, it takes time for the sports books to kind of really get a feel for what these teams are, especially in conference play. And then this year you have the added element of no fans 
So this would be more like a four point game in college sure. park. Yeah. And without the fans and that energy and the energy Marcel brings, I mean, this, this, this could well exceed that number. I mean, look, yeah. this is where this is where if you had some offensive sets to run down the clock and try and get a good shot and keep the Iowa possessions limited, that would help. And defensively, to me, make life hell on Garza. Let everybody else beat you. Don't let him beat you. And, they do have other guys, though, that can beat you. Well, that's, and that's that's true. True. But you know what? If you take away the national potential national player of the year, I can live with all the other guys beating True. Sure. And that's, yeah. that's, Sturgeon's, like, that's his game plan going into almost every game. Take away the best player and make someone else beat you. Sometimes someone team. else does. But. Double team. but they really haven't been able to do that this year. No, I don't think they have, especially without Marcel. I don't think they have the yeah. the level of defenders that they've had in the yeah. past. Um, Marcel loss is a killer for a game like this. Yeah, it really is. And hey, if you don't like playing the lines, uh, taking the under in Maryland games is always a good idea too. <laughs> if Maryland, if the numbers yeah. anywhere around one thirty five or up, <laughs> take that under. Yeah, Zach, if you will, if if I can ask Pat just real quick, I know we want to touch on football real quick before we get out, but all the controversy, I say controversy, but all the the finger pointing and such around the Dickinson kid from Michigan, I had read that they offered him his sophomore year at DeMatha, but then I guess along the way they got the feeling that he wasn't going to commit to Maryland, so they pulled back and just never pursued it. Is that is that accurate? And was that the right tack to take ultimately? Do you think that if Maryland was uh, you know, kept a, a scholarship there the whole time, that he would have gone to Maryland and not to say a Michigan and Jawan Howard? Then that's a pretty good sell, Jawan Howard, to me. Yeah. Um, no, from what I had heard, that that is accurate. That he it wasn't even like a through the grapevine thing. He pretty much told the coaching staff or whoever represented him in his recruiting told the coaching staff there was little to no interest there. Um and college so why, so why did he get so upset about Maryland not recruiting him fully? It's Twitter. You know, it's Twitter fodder, it's it, whatever he's gotta do to motivate himself. What clearly it worked. So um, but it's silly. I mean, I wasn't really putting much into it because I knew he was going to have a big game simply because we have no one to stop him. Um, and he probably knew that too, but for him to be, you know, flapping his gums before and during the game and, and probably after. Yeah. Um, seemed silly to me and made him look a little bit like an ass because, uh, you know, anyone who is in the know about the situation, like followed it from his high school days, pretty much knows how that went. And yeah, I mean, and, and it's kind of a rule of thumb within recruiting and especially basketball recruiting that, in that situation, it's not a good look on the coach to continue to press. Um, you know, you rub people the wrong way. Sometimes you rub coaches the wrong way, kids the wrong way, their handlers the wrong way. Plus, leaving that scholarship open for something that might not be a high percentage chance to land oh. ends up hurting you, you know, in the long run anyway. So, yeah. So that was uh, fake motivation then. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. You know, much in the same way that everybody got on Dabo Sweeney. Uh, after that loss, and it's like, wait a minute, Dabo Sweeney never said Ohio State couldn't beat Clemson or any of the other teams in the top four. He simply said, based on the number of games that they played, that's why he had them 11th, and that yep. is debatable as to whether they deserve to be there or not. The eye test, to, to me, said yes, and obviously based on the win, it's a good thing that they were selected in the top four, but this idea that, oh, you know, well, there you go, Dabo, you know, what do you think of us now? He never question the talent of Ohio State. People completely took it out of context and continue to write these articles that are completely fake. I yeah. mean, that's the bottom well, it does well on Twitter and things like that. That that so that's why. Rat poison. Yeah. That old statement. <laughs>
So you got Iowa t- uh, tomorrow night, uh, number five in the country, and then you've got number 12, Illinois, on Sunday night. The good news about that game is there's NFL playoffs on. Uh, so you don't really need to watch Maryland too closely. If it gets ugly early, you've got Cleveland and Pittsburgh uh, playing at the same time. So we are going to touch on college football, Maryland football recruiting real quick. Uh, big news the other day, uh, five-star linebacker Terrence Lewis signed with Maryland. Well, he signed with Maryland in mid-December, but made it official uh, on Saturday. He's the best recruit they've landed since Stefan Diggs. He's going to be enrolling early, participating in spring practices, whatever spring practices happen to look like. Um, and he's the number one inside linebacker in the country, 16th best recruit overall in the country. Uh, the class currently ranks 18th nationally, uh, fourth in the Big Ten. And Pat, Brian Williams, defensive line coach, uh, landed another one. He's currently ranked as the fifth best recruiter of any recruiter, assistant coach, or head coach in the country. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's on a roll, to say the least, especially in the state of Florida. And, uh, I mean, heck, this is – it's amazing that he signed in December and kept it under wraps so well because the sources – like, the people I speak to about these things, like, they would have, like, known. You know what I'm saying? Like, usually they would have known about something like that. And – yeah, I mean, good for him for that. Good for the Terps for landing a, a amazing talent. Um, and, and really, it's a great way to cap off a great class. So uh, this is, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we can get him signed. Uh, uh, or we can get him, I'm sorry, we can get him, um, you know, on campus and everything, on time and everything. And I know there's, there's some baggage that comes along with uh, – you know, Lewis and stuff, some question marks, but um, a lot of people have baggage. A lot of people have question marks and it's not necessarily a a deterrent. So um, yeah, I just, you know, I'll feel great. I'll feel even better about it when we have him on campus and have him in camp and things like that. But this is awesome for now. I mean, this is, uh, these are the type of players that you need along with the four stars that they have in this class. And um, you know, these other big time Florida guys that they've got recently that, um, you know, Brandon Jennings and all that, they are looking to be a Big Ten championship contender. These are the talent. This is the talent you need. And, uh, you know, with Tua or sorry, Talia and the offense looking, you know, on the upswing, the defense now is, uh, you know, going to be on its tails. So. Yeah, and I put up a, uh, a, 20, a very early 2021 uh, season preview article up at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. I uh, have a projected depth chart in there as well. Um, but I think to your point, Pat, uh, it caps off a class that was already very good. Just like last year, Rakeem Jarrett capped off a class uh, that was very good, probably at somebody who was not expected. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise, and it caps off an extremely uh, extremely good class. So I guess, Mike, we just have to wonder, uh, 2022, what tricks Loxley and his staff have up their sleeve? What what five-star is out there right. uh, that he's going to pull off late in the process? Well, it'd be great if it's an offensive lineman, but that, that's an area we yeah. are really going to have to look at. Real quick on Lewis, I would just say, and I know these are young kids. I know they're teenagers. Lewis had orally committed to Florida, then Tennessee, now Maryland. That's my only concern. Does he end up in the transfer portal a year or two from now? You know, hopefully, hopefully not. But look, bottom line is 
Uh, I think Mike Loxley and his staff are doing everything they possibly can. And, you know, we just talked about Mark Turgeon and recruiting a little bit and facilities and such. I'll say this. Um, they are maxing out, I think, what Maryland can do uh, at this point. And, and to end up being where they are in the top 20 in the country, had to be a top four right now in the Big Ten. I'm not sure Maryland's can, can do a whole lot better than that with Ohio State obviously up there. You know, Michigan still does uh, – uh, very well from themselves in the second spot, although it's a big drop off from OSU, you know, Wisconsin in the mix there as well. Yeah. So we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens uh, with the 2022 class. The Terps did add one player uh, since we, since our last episode, three-star cornerback Lionel Whitaker uh, from Tallahassee. He was recruited by Brawley Evans, um, outside linebackers coach, chose the Terps over Kansas state, USF, Tennessee, Wake Forest, Virginia, a few others. Um, so a solid addition uh, corner. Uh, we've seen what Henry Baker has been able to do with some of the three-star cornerbacks that he's inherited. Uh, so certainly uh, somebody who can provide some depth early on uh, with the talent that the Terps have in the secondary, but uh, plenty of opportunities uh, going forward. I know he can play both sides of the ball, but they're looking at him as a corner. And there's also one other guy uh, right after Christmas, guys, Marcus Fleming transferring from Nebraska, not a not a recruit, right. but, yeah, but a transfer. Yep. Uh, he yeah. was a former four-star, I think, Pat, right? Yeah, oh. yeah, and, and a DMV yeah. four-star, um, familiarity with the Big Ten. I, I'm i glad you brought that up because I almost forgot about this because it really got lost in the, the shuffle yeah. of the holidays. But um, that's a big pickup. I mean, the, the wide receiver room is already Ooh. one of the more talented, you know, positions on the field, but – can never have enough talent. I mean, look, look at uh, the teams that we see in the college football playoffs. If any of their players get COVID or any of their players get injured, there's another four or five star just waiting in the wings to step up. And that's how we see the, you know, Alabama doesn't matter who plays a quarterback and running back and whatnot. So um, that's where you need to get to really compete with them or to compete for conference championships where you have four stars too deep at every single position. And uh, that at least at wide receiver, it's looking good. And guys, now the, the now the thing's going to be developing the talent that you have. And I think we saw Maryland take a step forward this year, despite the record. We saw some positive things, and hopefully they can continue to do that because we've seen coaches who can recruit, but they're unable to develop that talent. That's now the next step that Maryland's going to have to take. And I would say, as you guys know, also being a big Michigan fan right now, uh, the quote-unquote extension that Jim Harbaugh says he's going to sign, he hasn't yet. A lot of people are miffed about it right now. They think that maybe he's holding out for a better deal, even though the NFL rumors really there haven't been much other than maybe the Jets. Um, if that should fall through and the long more time goes uh, and we don't hear about anything, look for some potential guys to be in the transfer portal from the Wolverines that maybe Maryland will be looking at. And one last thing before we hop off, speaking of the transfer portal, Pat, I'm going to put you on the spot. A.J. Litton, uh, defensive back. Have you heard anything on him? Because I've heard that it's it's good for it's been good for a while. Uh, transfer from Florida State uh, out of Wise. What are you hearing on him? Um, probably similar to what you've heard. Just, you know, it makes sense. Uh, it, it, you know, if you connect the dots, it makes sense for him to either transfer to Maryland or at least give Maryland a really strong um, look. Haven't heard anything, you know, definitive or that it's imminent. Um, you know, I would just say I'd put Maryland's chances, um, you know, up there with anyone's in that regard. And then, you know, I think I've also mentioned uh, Jordan Tolis before on, on uh, these shows and nothing has happened there yet. Um, and, and it may not, but um, LSU is certainly, 
has already seen its fair share of, of kids transfer out and and um I have just heard some some rumblings that he might not be happy with his situation down there. So I would have to think if he decided to transfer that Maryland would possibly get a look too. So and we we can't take for granted what this whole pandemic and the effect it's had on people over the past year. Um, and you know these DMV kids that have gone to all these other blue bloods and to Florida State LSU. Uh, some of them may want to you know just get closer to home. So, well, that's yeah. that's where this coming year, guys, uh, pandemic or not, is spilling over to 2021. Uh, now the wins have to come because now those transfer portal kids, those kids that get away to the SEC schools, they're going to want to come back to College Park. And in the future, those kids won't get away to those SEC schools. They're going to stay right at home. Yeah, so something to watch for. The transfer portal will be, will be hot the next few months. Uh, Maryland's already had a number of players uh, in there, uh, most notably Marcus Minor. Um, and Johnny Jordan, both offensive linemen. Uh, other than that, a lot of guys that were pretty buried on the depth chart. But which surpri- interesting, it surprises me. I mean, they're going to play next year. They they're they're lacking there. I, I don't yeah. know why. You know, yeah. the, the program I thought took a step in the right direction. Why they're not coming back? That that is a little boggling to me, to be honest with you. Help could be on on the way though. More help from Florida with uh, the O lineman, the center, Mike Malinsky, um, okay. Texas commit. Uh, just decommitted from Texas, uh, basically down to Maryland and Michigan State um, and Iowa um, in terms of like who he might commit to now. And I know he was I've spoken with him a few times. He's he's got ties to all three of those schools. He had ties to Texas as well. But um, I guess with the coaching change and stuff down there, mm-hmm. he's not staying there. So um, that would be I mean, he's a really, really good player. Like he's arguably better than Johnny Jordan could be our you know center right away so um yeah i think that that would be some serious um icing on the cake you know even on top of of uh these florida guys that we've just gotten so yeah they could definitely use a center i think right now i've got like austin fontaine or spencer anderson, spencer anderson there. Some, but yeah. both of those guys could easily play elsewhere getting a guy who's who's a dedicated center would certainly uh and then and just any depth, because it's really looking down the list, it's really just those two guys that really have the ability. Uh, they'd have to train somebody else, um, one of the younger guards uh, at center, which is possible, but again, not ideal. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll watch the portal over the next couple months, um, and we'll, we'll keep everybody updated. Uh, uh, you got the two Maryland uh, basketball games uh, this week to look forward to or not look forward to, depending on your mindset. Uh, but uh, join the conversation on the message boards at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and follow us on Twitter at TalkingTerpsBSL. Uh, we'll be back. We'll probably be back next week. But until then, roll Terps.